Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real family friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Fantastic, I am Mitch. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Feeling a bit rough and under the weather, but there's nothing better to lift spirits than talking about rugby, especially on a weekend where the Waratahs win. So things are good. Fantastic. And we have had the Easter long weekend just gone. So that is why we are recording on Monday night as opposed to our normal Sunday slot, just having time to slot it in with family things going on and all those sort of stuff. So Wanted to get our rugby content out to you before we got too late into the week. So we are here tonight. Now, I do have a rugby-related question for you, Ando. Are you ready for that? Mate, I'm ready. Hear me. All right. So we do have Super Round coming up this weekend in Melbourne. And I'm going with that kind of theme of all teams playing together in one venue. So my question to you, Ando, is if you are able to put together a international Super Round, let's call it, so you can bring in... Any team from any competition in world rugby, who would you bring in and why? And we'll say five teams. What five teams would you like to oh see God. participate in an international super round? Uh, club teams or into like... Uh, yeah, we'll say club level. teams. We'll say club teams because it's probably unfair to throw the All Blacks in against like State yeah. Parse or something. Yeah, cool. Um, I'd be going... Ooh, these are really good. I think you just have to go some of the top teams from different yeah. competitions. So I'd want to see the Satyrs yep. um, going up against Leinster. That would be a huge one because they're often compared from kind of the best teams in northern some of the southern hemisphere. Yeah, particularly um, the pathway system and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I'd want those two. So Leinster and uh, Crusaders. Uh, I'd also love to see Saracens in there as well because they're kind of one of the top English teams. Bristol would be a load of fun because of the attacking threat that they can they can provide. Or maybe Harlequins, they've kind of surpassed Bristol in the last six months or so. Yep. Um, but then let's one get more. a one French more. team across. Um, and... Uh, I don't really know which French team I'd be choosing. Maybe, maybe a Bordeaux, uh, maybe, maybe a Toulouse. A Racing. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Toulon. I'd, I'd kind of like Toulon just because you get to hear Drew Mitchell talking about all the stories and the stuff of that he had when he was playing there and all the um, shenanigans he got up to. So yeah, uh, Toulon would be my French team. Yeah, fantastic, cool. That's it. Throws up the the idea of if we had like 
that it has been touted before and spoken about, but this kind of club World Cup competition put together, it just puts up that those kind of schedules and you get to see how would the Crusaders go against a team like Munster, for example. Um, mm. Who knows mm. who would come out on top there, but it is a fun hypothetical. But let's get back into the real rugby, the, the things that are happening. Why don't you run us through our <laughs> socials and then I'll take us through Superbrew. Yeah, easy. So you guys can find us on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. One thing I'll quickly pop in and mention here is that we are still taking um, donations through coffee, ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. Just wanted to say a huge thank you to the absolute legends that have supported the pod so far. Every single dollar that we are um, getting from that is going straight back into the pod so we hugely appreciate your support and it's ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby all right on to super fantastic Brew. so super brew this week we do have the yellow cap winner being tane c closely followed by dan mori and then kieran ando uh in third place so well done to all of those so tane c did take out the round on nine and a half points and then Dan Mori and Kirando were not far behind on nine points, respectively. If we look at the overall ladder up the top, we have Dan Mori in first place. So he's he's in he took out the second place in the round this week, and he is in first place overall in the competition. We have Ember in second place, who's gone up four spots this week. Well done to him. And then we've got David Eski, who was in second place last week, who's now shifted down into third. So. Well done to the three of you. It's getting very tight up the top there. I'm very jealous of all of your performances, uh, but you clearly know what you're doing, so well done. Now, what are we going to do tonight? We will start off the pod with... We'll dive into the Super W semi-final that was played on Thursday night. Ando, you got to go out to the game, so I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on that. We'll then go through Super Rugby Pacific Round 9, the review. We're then, we do have Super Round coming up this weekend. I'm very excited because I get to go down to Melbourne. I've bought my tickets last week and I've booked my accommodation. So three fantastic full days of rugby, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this coming weekend. So we will go through that. We'll do a bit of a preview and we might do a bit of an estimation of how the teams might go before we enter the locker room and answer your questions. How does that all sound, Ando? Have I forgotten anything? No, sounds great. I'm keen to get into it. Let's get into it then. Let's go. Let's go. All right, we now get into our weekly match review and we're going to start off with the Super W semi-final, which was between the New South Wales Waratahs versus the Queensland Reds at Eric Tweedale Stadium on Thursday night. Now, I actually went out to this game with my uh, eldest son, who is six, and it was a really, really good experience to go out. I had so much fun with him at the game, even if I do realise that getting out to <laughs> later night games with a six-year-old is not mm-hmm. always easy. He was pretty tired and wanting to fall asleep by the end of it, but he did well. <laughs> Um, so the Waratahs came out 36 to nil winners in what was realistically a really dominant performance from the Waratahs uh, women there. It was really, really great. Um, really, really great to see. There were a couple of worrying injuries that occurred um, throughout the match, which actually disrupted the game pretty significantly by about oh, five to 10 minutes um, for each injury in the second half. It was Arabella McKenzie and um, one of the replacement forwards, which I'll just need to um, find for us in a moment. 
But realistically, when watching this match, there were a couple of things that um, I wanted to just point out before. Maybe if you have any questions about mm -hmm. the experience and the yep. atmosphere, you could ask. Uh, but just being at the game and and watching it, one of the things that makes me concerned about the final that's going to be getting played this coming weekend is a part of the Super Round, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So they're, they're playing yeah, it awesome. on Saturday afternoon. Um, very looking forward to that. Being able to go down to Super Round, I will be able to get to the women's final as well. So Yeah, awesome. So um. One of the weaknesses that the Waratahs had on Thursday night was particularly the pick and drive game from the Reds. They really struggled with kind of being dominant in their tackles in tight. And I'm just worried that that can be another area for exploitation from the Fijiana and Drua, like they were showing in the previous encounter. Um, in addition to that, the Waratahs are still showing real weakness attacking from left to right. Uh, they... It's, it comes down in my mind to just basic skill execution problem. Obviously, passing right to left is a lot easier. And so when they're, um, they have set-piece play on the right-hand side of the field, they are able to make ground and have really effective attacking um, plays as they're coming towards the left-hand side. But if they're having to go the other way, the passes are not inevitably, but quite often or commonly finding the grass or getting passed behind the player and the attacking player is getting stilted. So I'm pretty worried that they're just not being as effective or efficient as they need to be with the opportunities presented to them. And whilst they were able to get up fairly comfortably against the Reds, we've seen already that they can't let any opportunity slip against the Fijiana and Drua. So look, they've, they've definitely got a chance if they can slow the game down and, um, take the opportunities on offer mm -hmm. but if they get pulled into the style of high tempo frantic not frantic high tempo offloading game the Fijian and Druid do it, it's going to get uh pretty ugly or pretty challenging pretty quick so that's just my thoughts from watching the match yeah and it was good to see the Waratahs women able to actually take that game by the scruff of the neck so for the first 20 minutes or so the Reds had the majority of possession and were attacking in the Waratahs half they did really well defensively to keep them out and to turn the ball over a few times and it was only, I think it was the 15th, 16th minute before the Waratahs actually scored a point. So the Reds did well to keep them out up until that point. Uh, and then I think Grace Hamilton crossover for the first try. And from then on, it was pretty much run one-way traffic to the Waratahs women. Um, like you said before, Ando, I think it was a good performance in some ways from the Waratahs to be able to grind out the win and to, to sort of ease into the game and they got better as the game wore on. But when they come up next week against a team like the Fijiana in Drua, we know that they have the ability to score from anywhere. They just have such good skills and core set piece that the Waratahs women need to be do on doing everything they possibly can to slow the ball down um, and probably rely more on that set piece than, than playing a bit flashy rugby. Um, which is probably not the right thing to be saying for fans because you don't want it. You want a, a free-flowing, high-scoring game, but I think that really plays into the Fijiana um, style of play. So the Waratahs women really do need to get their set piece right, get those things done, get penalties off um, scrums, make sure they're getting their lineouts, use that as an attacking weapon, and that's how they can stay in the game. I just want to give some quick insight before you carry on. It was Penelope Leia Tower, who was the second player that got injured and carried off. Um, so hopefully her and Arabella McKenzie are, um, it's not too serious and it was more precautionary in nature. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, they can get back to full fitness soon. Perfect. Now I've got some questions for you around the game itself or the atmosphere at the game. So what were yep. your thoughts on Eric Tweedale Stadium as a venue? I got to go out there earlier this year for the Waratahs 
uh, trial match against the Shoot Shield teams. I was very impressed with the setup they have there. What was it like for this Super W semifinal? Yeah, look, the stadium itself was great. Um, considering the smaller suburban nature of it, it's not surprising that they don't have a large screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was hard to track some of the play or some of the calls on a far side of the field. Yeah, There were a couple of points where I just literally couldn't see what was happening on the, the far side. Um, so that's something maybe for investment into the future. Um, but the crowd was really, really poor to start with if there were 200 people there at the most at the start of the game i would have been surprised um i think a fair few of them were just family members of the players as well about 20 minutes into the first half perhaps because people couldn't get there in time considering the time of day it was maybe people are coming from work um by about 20 minutes in the seats seemed to have filled up a bit more maybe there were around 300 or so by that point uh, but it wasn't particularly full and it wasn't particularly loud. Um, I I thought it was going to be more. I hadn't been out to a um, women's match uh, prior to this. And so I thought the crowd was going to be bigger. But either way, those who were there, we did kind of try and cheer our hearts out. Sheepy, friend of the pod, was there as well. So we sat with him and my boy and um, got to cheer on the crowd, or cheer on the Tars, and that was good fun. But yeah, I was the, the stadium was great. The crowd numbers were disappointing. So does that then beg questions about why they chose to play this game on a Thursday night at six o'clock? It is leading into the long weekend as well. Do you think that took some consideration into the low crowd numbers? Look, potentially, because it's a Thursday night with a Friday being a public holiday. It may well have been a lot of people leaving to go on holiday mm-hmm. um, on that Thursday afternoon or evening. I'm, I'm sure there's some scheduling reason as to why they chose to play it on a Thursday night. Um, I don't know what that is, but I don't see why you would be choosing to play on a Thursday if you didn't, if you weren't forced to. Yeah, I know last the week before uh, when they did play the Reds the first round, they played that game... I uh, think for, from memory, it was a 2.45 kickoff. And what that ended up doing was, because it was played during Param- Paramount was playing their shoot shield games at the same time. So it ended up meaning that the shoot first grade had to kick off at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And so I wonder if for the second week in a row, Paramount weren't too happy about shifting their game so late in the weekend to have that game on a Saturday. Um, yep. It's unfortunate. It, it, is a, it is a difficult time for people to get to, even to be able to watch it. 6 o'clock on a Thursday, on a, on a weekday is always going to be difficult, particularly when most people knock off around five o'clock. So I think we can probably convincingly say that the experiment this year of playing the Super W games prior to the Super, uh, Super Rugby Pacific games has been a bit of a victory, has been a good thing for the game. Uh, yep. t- people tend to show up early or stay back later to support the, the girls play their games. Um, it'll be interesting, interesting to see what RA do next year if they keep that same trend or if they do try and do something a little bit different. But um, yeah. very much looking forward to getting out next week to the final and cheering the girls on. Mate, uh, one final thing, the 6 p.m. game, I just remembered, uh, it was probably that early and not a little bit later because the um, Shoot Shield teams were training straight after. So as soon as the game finished, the men started warming up for their training afterwards. Right. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they weren't able to play at like 7.30 or so because um, 
the men's team has had training. Yeah. So that's yep. something to be considering with yep, allocation, sure. resource allocation. But why don't we move into the Super Rugby Pacific results for the weekend? And we might start off with the uh, first game of the weekend, which was on Friday, 7.45, or the first Australian game of the weekend, which was the Rebels versus the Reds down at AMI Park in Melbourne. And after a... Uh, I was a bit surprised by this result in that the Reds came away 36 to 32 victors. At a few points, I thought the Rebels looked the better team, but the Reds seemed to be able to affect some really, really meaningful counter punches at times that mattered within the games. Uh, Fraser McWright was an absolute beast with a couple of breakaway moments to set up tries on two occasions, which really turned the tide. So what were some of your general impressions from the game when it first finished up? Yeah, so first of all, massive shout-out to the Melbourne Rebels. This was a performance that we probably waited for so far this year. Uh, we we haven't been very nice to the Rebels in previous weeks. <laughs> Some of the performances they've put out so far this year probably weren't... They're not up, they weren't up to scratch for Super Rugby level, but this performance this week was great by them. They didn't do enough to win the game, but they were probably, for a lot... For a majority of this game, the better team on the night. Um, the Reds, we do need to give a bit of applause to the Reds in that respect that they still, again, didn't play. This is probably the second or third time this year we've seen them not play their best game, but still able to win it. We saw that against the Waratahs in that first matchup. Um, we saw it against the Brumbies in Canberra for that first round. Again, they didn't weren't able to win that one, but they were very close and with only a few points in it. But again, the, the Queensland Reds are finding ways to win games, so that is the sign of a championship side that they are able to do that. But when we look at the Melbourne Rebels, uh, lots of players stood up. Very impressed with Andrew Kellaway in the centres, I think. I was a bit surprised with that change in that announcement when it came out on Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning, but I think it paid dividends for the Rebels this week. One of the interesting things is when you look at some of the key tries that they had, um, so you had Connor Vest's try based upon James O'Connor's little kick through, Paisami regather, quick pass out the side, Vest goes into the corner. Great try, well worked, great skill execution, well done Rebs. Then you go to Tate McDermott's, which was off that... Um, Hey, uh, Fraser McWright. So, so Matt Phillip gets a bust, gets an offload away to Richard Hardwick, passes it out wide. The Rebels go down the line. Um, Blythe gets a tackle on, might've been Kellaway, might've been Illy. Um, and then McWright just swoops in, gets a steal, starts a break, passes out wide to Wilson, passes it inside to Tate McDermott, who runs away for the try. Right then and there, that McDermott, the Lawson Crichton try, and the Josh Fluke one in the 68th minute, um, all three of those came against the run of play. And for the Tate McDermott try, it was great skill execution, particularly from yep. Fraser McWright. Yeah, uh, but the Lawson Crichton one, Lawson Crichton intercept is one of those kind of Hail Mary situations where he either gets a yellow card, um, he either gets a penalty against him and probably yellow card, or he gets the intercept try, uh, which, I mean, you can debate the laws and whether it should be like that but it is really yeah. what it is yeah it is um yeah. and so there are just these points where it's it's really interesting i don't think the reds were the most structured or the most effective in their normal attacking patterns and they didn't seem to control the game as effectively as they would previously but they still came away scoring five tries and ended up winning 36 to 32 so you're right they they have 
some excellent qualities within a team. I'm still really wanting to see them put it together into a full performance. And I'm hoping they can be a little bit more defensively solid mm -hmm. as they come up against the Kiwi side starting from this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we need to talk about one player in particular. And from the tweets that you were sending out, I think you were very impressed with big Caboose Elof oh, for the Melbourne the Rebels. Best. Yep. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts, Andy? Take us through that. All right. So in my mind, any player that after trying to do a quick tap and go last season and nearly knocking it on. Um, or kicking it he, over your head. <laughs> or kicking it over your head. He should have been banned from doing that, but yet he tried to do it again this season, um, this match, which is fantastic. And also, he was somehow caught out wide on a um, on an attacking play and tried to throw a cutout ball to the winger that went straight into the sidelines. So I just thought he was absolutely incredible. And as soon as he did that pass, I was like, "Yep, he's in our team of the week. Absolutely no worries." But if we move away from those comical <laughs> blunders, um, he actually had a really good game. So he is playing really, really uh, significant minutes, at least 60 to 65 minutes each week. Got a massive, massive engine on him. Um, and he's making some pretty good run meters. So he had nine runs for 26 meters, which for a prop when you're going in tight is pretty decent. Ten tackles, no misses, no missed tackles at all. And it's got a try as well. Um, under some pretty heavy contact to power through for that try. So in my mind, he had a really strong game across the whole of the match. Um, there were some people calling for maybe Taniela Tupo or Harry Johnson Holmes to be within a team of the week. Tupo was very good when he came on, yeah. but I just don't think he played enough minutes to take it away from Elof. Um, and I also think Harry Johnson Holmes did less on attack, even though he had better defensive stats. Um, so yeah, that's why yeah, I we'll, rated Elof we'll talk about the, Yeah, fair enough. We'll talk about the Waratahs a little bit in the next bit. Um, and mm. just their defensive effort across the board was really good this week. Uh, but one of the things we've been talking about as a theme for the Melbourne Rebels for the last few weeks is their Wallabies players really needing to stand up and, and put in a performance that's, that's of a Wallabies level. And I think this week we can definitely say that Matt Phillip did that hands down. He was playing like a man possessed this week. The amount of times that he found himself in the loose, running along like a giraffe, uh, being chased by a lion, he was just looking majestic there. I think he made three line breaks, um, and you don't often see that for a lock. So well done to him. I thought Matt Tamua played better this week than he has in the past. I think just getting that re repetition of playing 10 for the last few weeks is actually now starting to pay dividends. For the beginning of the season, it seems... Like the Rebels had the idea that they wanted Carter Gordon to be that 10 and probably have Matt Tamua at 12 to support him. But then that didn't work in round one. So they, they shifted that around and they put Tamua at 10 and, and put Carter Gordon to the bench. And he's only seen little bits and pieces through the season so far today. Yeah. And yeah. that succession plan probably hasn't come as far as they would have liked. Um, but I think Matt Tamua is starting to play better in the 10 position than we've seen him so far this week, uh, so far this season. What were your thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, we've spoken about the um, the fact that we would all be, most supporters seem to want Carter Gordon in there at 10 and mm -hmm. Tamua at 12 or maybe on the bench as that utility back option. But it's obviously not the direction that Kevin Foote is going and they want that experience in 10 uh, right here, right now. Okay, all right, fine. It's probably going to stuff you up down the track. 
because it means that Carter Gordon's not getting the experience now um, and the opportunities now against the Australian teams. And if anything happens to Tuamua, then unfortunately Gordon will get thrown in again against the Kiwi teams um, at the tail end of the season and just get smashed around. But with that being said, what I think Tamura is benefiting from is a bit more cons- consistency and selection within yeah. the back line. So we're seeing Stacey Illy get a lot more game time, which is really positive. Um, uh, and I think having players like Glenn Vihu and Reese Hodge uh, in the back lot or in the back three more consistently is providing him with a better understanding of their positioning, their, their running lines, and how he can be getting the best out of the players around him. Whereas in the first few matches, that back line just chopped and changed so much. There was so little consistency. It must have been really hard for him to kind of orchestrate any coherent play. Yeah, and the players outside him just didn't have that experience either. And so it was sort of like Matt Tamua on whatever he's on, 80 super rugby caps or whatever. And then the next guys in the centers are on like four or five. And so yeah. you've got this this imbalance of massive experience of a rugby player who's played internationally and around the world amongst two guys who have talent, no doubt have talent, but just haven't got the time in the saddle yet. And gelling those two together, it just wasn't working. So I think there are definitely promising signs from the Rebels this week. Their attack looked a lot sharper than it's been in the last few weeks. And it's been a progression. Week on week, they've looked better. They're hanging in games now. Uh, they the, the first few rounds, they just weren't able to compete at all. And we saw that in that in Drua game where they got beaten. Uh, and the Indrua came home really strong and put a fair few points on them late. But this these last two weeks, or three weeks particularly, the Rebels are holding in games and they're coming home strong now. And it's exciting to think that they've still got players like Rob Liotta, Trevor Hosea, uh, Pone Falmacilli, on the, on the, in the injury ward and not yet playing, but have that potential to come back in the next few weeks. And, and who knows what level they can get to. So the, the signs are looking good for the Rebels. They are probably hitting their straps at the right time. It's great that they're, they're competitive with a team like the Queensland Reds, and they didn't play well this week either, but they were able to punish them at times, which is promising. Um, it will be interesting to see how they go next week. We will talk a little bit later in our preview for Super Round. They probably don't have the draw that would be ideal for them, considering they are hosting Super Round coming up against the Crusaders, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, yep. One person I really want to talk about on the other side of the coin for the Queensland Reds, Suliasu Vunuvalu made his return from injury this week. What were your thoughts? How did you think he played, Ando? I thought he was wildly unimpressive. Yep. That's that's just basically it. Uh, I don't think he did particularly much. It's unsurprising considering how long he's had off because of injury. I don't. I wasn't really expecting him to set the world alight, but at least he got through the game. He didn't get injured again, and hopefully he can build on that in the remaining matches of the season. It's a very interesting scenario that Queensland Reds find themselves in. They've put so much money, and so does and Rugby Australia as well, has put so much money into getting him into Union, uh, bringing him across from the Melbourne Storm. He's had that those two injuries that have seen him out now for a year. He's not had a lot of game time. He didn't have a lot of game time last year. And that transition from league to union, we do know, does take a little while for players to get comfortable. You can train as much as you like during the week, but it's those moments when you're in the game, when you don't have the, the core skills embedded in your memory, when there's a ball loose there, someone's coming in to attack uh, or defend you and you just pat it out or you do something illegal in the game of union that you get away with in, in league that we saw f- 
players like Israel do in the past when he was making that transition would have been a lot easier for Suliasu had he been able to play consistently and not had these injuries. Um, the worry now is that there's not many games left in the season. We've got, what, six, seven games left this year, if that, maybe five mm. even, um, for him to put in a performance that's, first of all, worthy of a Wallabies call-up, um, but is just worthy of selection in the Queensland Reds itself. This wasn't an impressive performance by Vunavalu at all. Uh, we've seen a, a performance by Filippo Dalgunu for the last two weeks, who was finding it difficult to crack the, the 15 or the 23. Being fully fit, he just wasn't uh, able to get that selection. When he came back from injury and when he find, or there was an injury and he was able to get into the 23, he played the house down. We saw that last week, he played really, mm-hmm. really well. I was sort of expecting Vunavalu to have that kind of impact, to be probably chancing his hand a little bit more and just trying to go for those um, big plays to try and show the talent that he has. I was kind of surprised that he was so quiet and it'll be interesting to see in the next few weeks because the Reds have a real conundrum now, whether they stick with him there on the wing going into the New Zealand teams because those teams will punish a player who isn't confident and isn't capable of defending at a super rugby level. It's a really interesting point to consider and I think something that Brad Thorne is going to be uh, kind of worrying or mulling over in the coming days. What we might do is finish up with a couple Mm. of standout statistics before we then move on. So a couple of points which just emphasise our comments on maybe that the Reds went at the top of their game and will need to sharpen a few things up before the super round. Their lineout percentage win was only 50%, only won four of eight of their lineouts, five of seven of their scrums, which shows the importance that Taniela Tupo has upon their scrum efforts, considering he only came on in the second half. Um, interestingly, the Reds ran 536 metres to 375 so roughly 150 more meters and the possession and territory stats were basically the same so it just shows how important those clean breaks were and those turnover efforts from Wilson Crichton Fraser McWright on two occasions were to um, getting the Reds their win overall so in the end well done to the Reds they definitely uh upon reflection they deserved the win for the quality moments that some of their individuals are able to have. I don't think it was as good a team performance as they would be wanting. Mm -hmm. And I think the Rebels were better as a team, but the superstars in the Red Squad definitely showed up and made sure they got over the line in the end. So what we might do is shift ahead to the second Australian match of the weekend, which was on Saturday at 7.45 at HBF Park over in Perth. And that was between the Western Force and the New South Wales Waratahs. Now, this was an incredibly entertaining game if you were a New South Wales Waratahs fan, <laughs> which we both are. So we're going to spend the next two hours talking about this game. Get your, but it was just, get your notebook out. Take get, some notes. Get ready, Let's guys. Go. We're, going, we're going hard. But it was just amazing to see three tries in 15 minutes, to go up 21-0 in 15 minutes. I was, I was just amazed by that and by that breakaway. Um, before I kind of, I, I want to talk through just those three tries very briefly to kind of unpack them a little bit. But what was what was your immediate kind of feeling? Fifteen minutes of the game when we're up twenty-one nil. Yeah, it was it was interesting, wasn't it? Because as you said, fifteen minutes in the game, we've scored three tries, and the Western Force didn't look like at that point that they were putting up much 
defensive effort at all. They were pretty easy tries in some regards. The first one to Mark Nwanganidawasi was a bit of a against the run of play opportunistic try, but the other two were very much set piece driven um, and just seizing the moment when it was there in front of the players. But all credit to the force, they actually came back and they sort of, after probably 25 minutes, they really came together as a unit and started to uh, perform a little bit more cohesively uh, and the Waratahs weren't able to puncture their line as easily. They did come back and score a few more tries and got back into the game. And overall, the Western Force need to be... They didn't get the win, and they didn't come close to the win, unfortunately, but they did enough to take the bonus point off the Waratahs. Uh, at 25 minutes, when we had scored those three tries, we secured the bonus point. It kind of looked like there was going to be a 50-60 point drumming on the, the cards. Yep. Um, so the fact that they were able to score some tries themselves, stop the Waratahs from getting that bonus point, was a massive thing for them. Yeah, so tracking through those first three tries, like you said, the first one was a breakaway or intercept from Nwanga Nituase. The second one by Lalakai Fakedi, um, that was entirely set up by Tane Edmed. But even if you just kind of take a moment before that, Tane Edmed's able to step off his right foot and go in a gap on the inside of um, Richard Kahui yep. because Dave Parecki's made a really great unders run and Kane Kateka has bit in on that dummy run. And so that's created the disconnect between Kateka and Kahui that Edmunds just ghosted through and had the pace to get through so easily before offloading really, really well to Fichetti. And that was a point. Sometimes the Waratahs of 2021 would make a break, but then not convert the mm -hmm. opportunity. Yep. And so it was great to see Edmed kind of step uh, off, off his right foot once it once he'd made the break, step off his right foot to give him some room to pass to Fichetti. So Fichetti then had a gap to be running through for the line. And but even then, if Fichetti didn't make the line himself, he had Parisi on his outside as well, screaming for it. So yeah. that's something that DC has bought in this year is never say never, never give up because until the ball's grounded, they, we need options there. So good to 100%. see about Taz. Yeah. 100%, yeah. And then um, Michael Hooper's try in the 14th minute was just, I don't think it was like, the, the force just being failures or stucking. What I think it was is that there was under so much stress being uh, 14 points down within 10 minutes that, and they'd spoken for the last few weeks about wanting to start well. They'd given up um, 15 to 20 point leads within the first 20 minutes of games over the last like three or four rounds. They'd spoken about this. And so what we see is off a couple of rucks coming off a line out, um, Harry Lloyd and... Andrew Reddy, both overfold, but neither one of them picks up the pillar position on the ruck. And so you've got um, Ian Pryor on one side of the ruck and then literally nobody because both of the front rowers have just overfolded because they're stressed. They're, um, the defensive line is getting pressured and they're trying to fold to stop the next backline play. And Michael Hooper's like, cool, sweet, thank you. It <laughs> just goes through. So it was really good to just see the pressure that, that we were able to put on the force for an extended period of time and then actually convert those opportunities, which isn't something we've always been able to do. It was quite funny that try by Hooper because the cameraman was fooled by it. He was, I think he panned wide expecting it to go down the back line and all of a sudden Hooper's in for a try and then they had to cut to a different angle. Uh, yeah. But everyone stopped. And so watching it in real time, I thought that the ref had blown his whistle for an advantage, like Hooper had dropped it or something and that it wasn't a try. And then he just runs through and puts it down and it's awarded. And I was like, everyone stopped. The Waratahs players stopped. The Western Force players stopped. The only person that was in motion was Hooper. So yep. uh, it, was, it was a bit of an unusual one. Let me throw this stat at you, okay? So the Waratahs 
had 207 tackles to the 83 of the force. And the possession stats are 62 to 38 force TARS. Territory is 67 to 33. So what does that tell you? And based upon your observations from the game about the Western forces attacking threat. Sorry, can you repeat those? I, so the, the, the statistics were in favor of the Western force, right? Yeah, for possession yeah. and territory, sixty-two yeah. to thirty-eight, then sixty-seven to thirty-three. Yeah, there was a there were, it, I remember seeing on the coverage on the weekend. I think it was on just after half time. Something flashed up that was similar to that, and yep. the Western Force were playing all the rugby and had the ball in hand for the majority of the time. Yet they weren't able to penetrate the Waratahs' defensive line. And from watching the game, it didn't actually always feel like that. It didn't feel like the Waratahs were the ones that were defending all of the time. But it just happened to be that when the Waratahs got their hands on the ball, they did something with it. They were able to penetrate the Western Force uh, defensive line and score points, whereas the Western Force weren't always able to do that. And they were really reliant on their set piece to get points. They were able to get points through penalties, um, through scrums, and uh, scoring tries from driving more lineouts from lineouts. Interestingly, do you remember that phase of the game where the force had something like 30 phases attacking the TARS defensive line and then they make a half break, whatever advantage they had is gone and then end up, I think it's Anstey plays it off the ground. Um, that was to me just the the feather that broke the camel's or straw that broke the camel's back just the they'd had so much pressure um so much possession trying to break through the defensive line and they just weren't able to so for me there's something's going on in terms of the quality of the western force attack their tries were from um the first one to Ristran Pasatoa came from uh, Manasa Mateelli, uh half break, who then popped it off the ground to Pasatoa. And then Tim Anstey and Andrew Reddy's tries in 47th and 56th minute just came off the back of some good forward dominance offset piece. I think it was wide out. Um, Moors had got them both. They didn't look like breaking the Waratahs defensive line significantly at all without the direct involvement of Manasa Mateelli. Imagine if he's gone. Their back line is just seriously lacking any type of incision or punch in their ability to break uh, opposition lines. Well, it's unfortunate that they don't have another player like... Uh, oh, I've just had a mind blank. What was his... The uh, the English winger that was out here Jordan Oluwafela. Oluwafela, that's it. That, it's unfortunate they don't have a winger of his caliber at the moment because mm. you've got a player like Mateli who can break the line and has that big body sort of like... Samu Karevi or Korobeti, uh, that he's able to break tackles and to get that offload and to keep that momentum going. But they now they need a player who's got that skillful step, that ability to break tackles or just get through tackles from being small in depth. Um, they're not having that at the moment. And across their backline, they're not a massive backline. They don't have a player in the in the centres like Kuandrani or Korobeti who's able to give them that punch. And it's worrying that they're at this point in the season and their record so far this year. And as we've said, week on week, they aren't able to put a lot of points and they aren't able to score a lot of points. When they go up against the New Zealand teams, they're really going to be found out. And not even the fact that they can't score a lot of points, but they're leaking points too. Those three tries that the Waratahs scored early were off simple errors and just one or two players falling off simple tackles or not being in position when they needed to be. 
the all black, uh, the New Zealand players in the next few weeks are going to absolutely have a field day if they're going to continue this level of defensive effort. Yep. I'd hate to have been in the um, halftime dressing room there. They would have been getting absolutely slammed by their coaching staff. Well, it was interesting as well. And performance. I, I was at, uh, at, at my parents' place for dinner, so we didn't have the sound on for the halftime coverage and we didn't actually have the commentary on for most of the game, but they had their attack coach doing the cross into the change room on Stan Sports. I've not seen anyone but a head coach address the Stan Sports. Samson's COVID. He's, is he, he, is COVID. he COVID? Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't sure there. I just thought it was unusual that we hadn't, we didn't see Samson addressing the team like that. Um, but okay. That's yeah, he was a late withdrawal along yeah. with a couple of the other players. But yeah, and look, there's something to be said. We haven't mentioned the fact that the force had um, Roda, Kaitu, Kunzu, and somebody else. Fairly Kunzu, maybe, I think it was. And Kunzu, yeah, Kunzu, all get withdrawn a day or two before the game for various reasons. Like Kunzu had um, gastro. Uh, somebody else was a COVID close contact. Like there are a few, there are a few different reasons. Tony Pulu had concussion issues, which isn't good considering he'd had them previously. So hopefully, hopefully he can kind of get through that quickly and doesn't have any recurring issues there. But look, as much as it's incredibly disappointing as a force, uh, if you're a force fan for that performance, particularly being at home in front of a home crowd, um, it was just bloody awesome to see the Waratahs get away with such a dominant win. And it really, really was a dominant win. Um, so it puts us in a really good stead for making finals. Now, um, it seems quite likely that we're going to sneak into seventh or eighth spot, um, especially if we can pick up one or two, maybe just one win from Scouts, the yeah, yeah from, the from New weeks. Zealand games. And I think um, I think you did mention it before, but I did want to just highlight again in case yep. you had it. But I think a massive defensive effort from the Waratahs this week. 191 tackles were completed in this game with only 16 missed. So I don't have, and I'm not a math teacher. I'm not a teacher at all. I'm not that math brain. So I don't know what that percentage of completion is. You might have it there, Ando, but... Uh, uh, 92% that's a, completion. Yeah, that's fantastic across the board from the Waratahs. And that's something that they've... They've really worked on this year and has been great because last year their defense wasn't an element that you could be proud of. They were quite porous and letting uh, teams score easy points. It's great to see that that has uh, been such a work on for them this year and that they are consistently across the board all performing at the same level. Uh, Mark Nwakanitawasi needs to be praised for that one tackle that he did when he absolutely poleaxed uh, Mateelli in yep. the center field as well. So we have said in previous years that he is. A bit of a trickster. He, he can do some great things in attack, but when it comes to defense, hide him as much as you can. Don't let him be on a one-on-one -on -one situation. He's done some great work in the last few weeks on his defensive effort, and that hit on Martelli was just one of them. So well done to Nwanganiduasi. Yeah, I'm very keen to see if he can uh, continue to improve because he's been fantastic the last couple of weeks in an attacking point of view. Uh, that hit on Martelli was brilliant, but it was also just kind of like a straight-up physicality hit it wasn't one that required strong positioning or the reading of play it was here's this massive guy running at me i've got to take him down and he did and he did it bloody well so hopefully he can um kind of build upon that and get some of the other areas of his defense going but just quickly look at these stats before we move on to the kiwi matches uh you've got angus bell 19 tackles no missed tackles dave parecki 15 no missed harry johnson holmes 16 and 0 uh, Charlie Gamble, 13 and 1. Michael Hooper, 18 and 1. 
So just some absolutely huge stats there from the Waratahs and a really, really strong defensive effort. So who was so, it that was missing 16? Was no, it, no, no, no. They're, uh, they're making tackles. They're making 16. Yeah, not there's 16 him. that they missed. So who was it? Is it uh, Alex Newsom at fullback? <laughs> uh, no, Izzy Parisi missed five. Uh, that's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From defensive end. Um, yeah. Will Harris missed two. And it was just one from other players all across the team. So, yeah, yeah it's not too bad. Um, but anyway, let's carry on and get to the New Zealand matches. So uh, I think what we might do is just focus on the Satyrs Blues mm. game from this weekend. It's the one that I've watched in depth. I'm sorry I haven't had the time to watch Chiefs. That's Moana fine. So the Chiefs, or... the, the results were for those games uh, Moana Pacifica against the Chiefs, 45 to 12 to the Chiefs. Uh, the Highlanders and the Hurricanes, 22 to 21 to the Hurricanes. Now, there was a bit of controversy with this one, there was yep. some more red cards. The Highlanders, so close yet again, and just not able to get that win. Uh, I was I was pretty filthy because I tipped um, the Chiefs getting up by uh, sorry the Highlanders getting up by about six against the Canes, and they had a, a try disallowed in was it in extra time or like the final minute of the game um, yeah, where they got yeah, over was. the line they got over the line but because the ref didn't see a grounding he had to go up and say um, on field decision is no try because we didn't have a clear grounding and the the video replay was inconclusive so. They went with the rest on field call, and if he if he had said on field try, they would have given a try. So it was just so annoying. In all likelihood, he probably did get it, but you couldn't really prove it based upon the video footage available. So um, yeah, a really really closely fought game, and just disappointing on my end because it would have really helped out with my tipping. And Aaron Smith has come out post game. I don't know if this was necessarily in the the post match interview or later on, but he. He thinks that his the Highlanders teams have been dudded a few calls this week that they're being pinged for high contact and getting cards yellow and red for the last few weeks where they've had one of their players this week who copped two black eyes in the game. So clearly he had a high shot and the referee and the Timos, in his words, just walked it off. So disappointing for the Highlanders. Understandable that a player of his ability and and calibre in the Highlanders team and the All Blacks would be frustrated with that, considering that they've been so close and they've been pushing these other New Zealand teams all the way all year and they haven't quite been able to get that scalp yet. So probably coming from a place of more frustration that they aren't able to get over the line there. Um, but yeah, it is, it is one of those things at the moment where cards are being a real talking point in games. But why don't we head into what was, in many ways, the... Uh, we might talk about this, whether we think it was the game of the year, but the match between the Crusaders and the Blues, the Crusaders going down 23 to 27 against a really quality Blues outfit who started strong and were able to hold off a resurgent Crusaders who, despite having two players in the bin, very deservedly for both of those calls, in my mind, mm -hmm. um, actually played better actually played better without a full complement of players on the field. So very, very quickly, let's just touch on the yellow cards. The first one that went to David Havili was where he stripped the ball in a tackle on the ground off a um, break by the Blues. So in my mind, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind that one too I much. thought it was Did a little hard. It, it wasn't clear and obvious that it was intentional. In my mind, it looked very much like it was just a reflex of him completing the tackle. So he, he the player, and I can't remember which Blues player it was, had made the break. Havili's coming across or slightly behind in cover defense. 
does one of those sort of last grasp diving tackles, pulls him down, and as his momentum has carried him forward, he's holds held onto the ball and sort of as momentum's rolled him, it's popped out. And so the referee said that he's played the ball illegally and and deliberately slowed it down. So uh, I yeah, probably I think it was Stephen Perifetta. Yeah, one. I probably would have been happy with a penalty just because of how much in a game like this, a yellow card has that ability to influence the outcome. Um, I don't know if it was deliberate and cynical, but or poor te- tackle technique. I think you're being bloody kind there, mate. If this was a Kiwi doing against any Australian team, you'd be like, send him off. It's a red card. How dare he? Well, uh, I, I'd I, tip the Crusaders. So, ah, uh, see, I tipped the Blues by four, and yeah, um, did. yeah, got it on a nose. So I was pretty happy with this one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving on to the Scott Barrett red card. This one was just clear and obvious red card. Yep, absolutely. In my mind, there is no way you can be arguing that this is not a red card. It was late. It was to the head. It was reckless. Uh, it was what Scott Barrett is somewhat known for. He, he has this tendency to be doing these stupid tackles. Happened against the um, Wallabies over in Perth um, in 2020 or 2021? 2019, I think it was. 2019, yeah. okay. Um, and so he he's developing a little bit of a reputation at this point now for a little bit of loose cannon behavior at points. I think uh, so one, either way. In, in my mind, this one is more of just lazy tackle technique. Like he... He had committed to the tackle and it was late and he had come high. Um, so there's he's made a, a intentional foul act of foul play in that regard. He had time to pull out and he chose not to. So mm. no no issue at all with the red card. I don't think it's it's uh, malicious at all though. I think it's just poor and lazy that he chose not to sort of roll away or get out of the way of and not make that hit. Um Players need to be aware, though, when they're doing things like this and they are making contact, they are moving into contact late and high, that they're really giving the referee only one option. So, And he he was not surprised. You could see it. The referee walked over to him and, and had the red card up and he was already back turned and walking gone. to the sidelines. Like, He's like, yep, I'm, so I'm done. Looking, looking at once we, Now that we've got those out of the way, let's actually talk about the great parts of the game. And there were many. Look, I... I personally struggle to understand how good some of these players are. You had two of the best number 10s in the world basically playing off against each other to see who can be getting that All Blacks jersey in the mid-year test. So Mawanga and Barrett were both imperious for both, uh, both of their teams. Will Jordan is just incredible in every single thing that he does. Every time he touches the ball, he seems to make something happen. And if he doesn't get an extended run at 15 for the All Blacks, I, I'll just be so not. They'll be. I won't understand that decision-making process because they'll be putting him at wing or they'll be putting Barrett at 15. I just go, mate. He's the best 15 in the whole body competition. Play him for the All Blacks. But from a Wallabies perspective, if they want to play him somewhere else, that's fine. <laughs> play him at tight head. Yeah, shove him in fine. there. Put him at yeah, second row. Yeah. He's tall. <laughs> he's just incredible. Like he had 15 runs for 151 meters, three clean bakes, um, eight defenders beaten. That 
those are just insane numbers. Uh, Richie Mwanga, 13 runs, 61 metres, eight defenders beaten. Bowden Barra, eight runs, 80 metres, two defenders beaten. There were just these incredible moments of backline brilliance from both teams. And it wasn't always a case of poor defence enabling these opportunities. It was just pace and power and skill being on display for us to watch. And it was it was just an incredible viewing experience. I've gone back and watched this game a couple of times in the stand minis and every single time it's fun to watch. Well, it's got to, we've got to say it. it's game of the year. Game of the year so far, at least. Yeah, so far, yeah. yeah. And it's probably going to be, in all in all honesty, it's going to be um, these two teams in the final. The yeah, most Super likely. Pacific unless, final. Something, unless someone can trip someone up in or COVID wears its head, I would not be surprised if this is the final. This... Remind me, this was the second time that these two have played each other, right? Have the Blues not already played the Crusaders? Oh, God, I'm having a mental blank. I'll have a quick I, look Because from now, memory, I think they did. This. I'm saying that they did, and it wasn't as exciting as this game. Um, but now that I've said that, I'm starting to think maybe that, didn't, that <laughs> wasn't the case. I'll go back and have a quick look. I really should know this, but I've watched so much rugby over uh, the last two months. So it's all blurring together, together, isn't it? Yeah. But it look, from a Australian perspective, and I think we've had some questions in the locker room that we will answer in a little bit more detail when we get to it next week. But the this is just a, a line in the sand for the Australian mm. teams, isn't it? And we need to be better in nearly every asset uh to be able or facet to be able to match these two teams. They're both on absolute form at the moment the crusaders have had two losses this year so far this is their second one both at home which is very unusual for the crusaders Mm. uh i do worry what that means for the australian teams when they think that they need to make up those points to get up the top of the table so they're not going to take their foot off the brake at all against us and give us an easy ride at all we've probably got the crusaders the angry crusaders with the fire lit in their bellies which you do not want as an australian fan Definitely not. And I really pity the Rebels who are going to be going up against them this coming weekend. Uh, They're just going to get freaking destroyed. But that being said, uh, a couple of key players as well, I just wanted to point out. Um, Dalton Papali'i, the Blues captain, open side, was incredible. Absolutely incredible. His defensive stats were next level. He had 23 tackles, no missed tackles. That final... um, I think it was about the 76th or 73rd minute. The tackle. The tackle, cover tackle with him and Rico Iwani that got across to push, I think it was, was it Reese out? Um, no, it was the second row or it? something. It was, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, whoever, whoever it was. Uh, that was just showed next level desperation. But beyond that, Papa Lee, he had a couple of like clean breaks, four runs for 52 meters, two clean breaks and six defenders beaten. And he got a meat pie as well. So it was great to have him in my fantasy team. And I'm not just <laughs> raving about him because he got me heaps of points, but he was just incredible. And it really brings into question uh, whether or not Sam Kane is going to A, be retaining his captaincy or B, his place in the All Black side moving forward. Because you've also got Artie Sevilla that's pushing for selection at number seven too. So does that mean Sam Kane is kind of the incumbent? And so he stays there, or are we looking at some changing of the guard there with Dalton Papali'i moving forward? Yeah, we've also got players like Sam Whitelock back now as well, and I would not be surprised if he is that choice should they not go with Sam Kane. 
Uh, but we'll be interesting to see what the New Zealand, the All Blacks do do later on in the year. Just going back and having a look at the New Zealand results so far this year, the Crusaders and the Blues haven't played so far yet this year. So yeah, that's right. why I couldn't remember a previous one, but <laughs> it was a very good game. I think we've spoken enough about the game. Shall we move across into our Super Round preview and then get into the locker room? Yeah, mate, let's do it. Let's go. All right, now we have something really exciting to talk about. Something new that we've not seen in Rugby Union ever before, really, in some ways. The Super Round is being played this weekend from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, which is fantastic to see. I am heading down there, so I'm very much looking forward to this. But across the three days, we do have seven games of rugby being played, all at Amy Park in Melbourne. So we'll run through... The, the games that are being played, who's playing who, um, and then we might dive into some questions. So, first of all, we have the Waratahs kicking things off against the Chiefs uh, at 6 p.m. on Friday. So, for those who aren't aware, Super Round is essentially round one of Trans-Tasman. So, it is the Australian and New Zealand legs of their own tra- uh, Super Rugby Pacific competitions are over. We now just have crossover for the rest of the year. So game two is Moana Pacifica against the Western Force. That is kicking off at 8.30 on Friday night. Saturday afternoon, we have the Super W final being played at 2 p.m. against the New South Wales Waratahs and Fijiana in Drua. Later that afternoon, we do have the Blues hosting Fiji in Drua, the men's team. That's kicking off at 5.05 p.m. Followed that night by the Hurricanes and the Queensland Reds. That's kicking off at 7.45 p.m on Saturday night, and then Sunday night, we have two more games of rugby to round out a fantastic weekend. So the first game is between the Highlanders and the Brumbies, kicking off at 2 p.m., followed by the Melbourne Rebels, the hosts of Super Round, up against the Canterbury Crusaders, kicking off at 4.30 p.m. Very excited for this one. Not something that's ever been done in rugby union before, at least as far as I'm aware, having seven or eight games played in the one competition at the one venue. Ando, first question for this, what are your thoughts on the draw? Are you happy with the teams that are going up against each other? I really think it would have been great to have the Ndrua and Moana Pacifica going up against each other um, for this match. I think it would have been a real kind of selling point Mm. for the matches across the weekend to have these two um, two new teams going against each other at this ground or at this on this occasion i part of me would really have loved to see the super w final maybe pushed in between some of the men's matches on that saturday so maybe you start off with the blues and drawer at 2 p.m and then you have the super w final and then you move into the final match being one of the men's matches i think having it sandwiched between the men's matches would be better in my mind because sometimes from what i've heard from people that have been out to some of the double header matches people only go there uh, only come for the men's match and then either don't get there in time for the women's or leave after the men's match so i think sandwiching it between the two would be really really good in terms of um having more opportunity for a larger crowd to be there to cheer the teams on. So that's really the only kind of shift, maybe having Moana and the Ndrua playing each other and then moving the women's game to be uh, the second of the matches on a Saturday. I do know that, and it, it probably plays into that theme as well, Ando, that this is Anzac round. So it is Anzac yep. day on the Monday. Uh, some of the teams have already revealed some special Anzac jerseys that we'll be wearing for the game. So I think 
from a uh, schedule point of view, they wanted to have as many Australia versus New Zealand games as possible. So that does make you think why they've gone for the Blues against the Indrua, um, the Western Force against Moana Pacifica. It would have been great to have the Pacifica game played in its own uh, its own its own game in this round and to have all of the fixtures being Australia versus New Zealand. But maybe uh, in terms of the overall draw, it just didn't work out that way. Uh, I do think it would have been good for for the Melbourne Rebels. I think they've had a re- they've got a they've probably got the hardest game this weekend up against the Crusaders. It's also being played on Sunday afternoon at four thirty. I think considering they are hosting uh, this whole comp- this whole round of Super Rugby, I would have liked to see that game played on Saturday or su- uh, Saturday afternoon or evening be the real sort of focus and the headline of the weekend. Um, it sort of feels a bit like 4.30 on Sunday afternoon after seven games have already been played. It's a bit like an afterthought, and I don't know how many fans will hang around for that. We have seen over the last few weeks that the crowd numbers at Amy Park for the Melbourne Rebels game haven't been great. It'll be interesting to see if this Super Round can bring the crowd in, considering there are expats in Melbourne who might get not get the opportunity always to see their teams play and will bring it out. It'll be interesting to see how many people do travel being a public holiday long weekend as well. So very interesting to see how this one goes in actuality. I'm very excited for it. My one thought and apprehension about this, and I'll throw this to you, Ando. Do you think mm-hmm. the ground can hold up? Do you think that Amy Park can hold up after eight games of rugby? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I will plead ignorance here and say I don't know enough about Amy Park as a ground to know whether it can. Uh, I mean, that's that's a heavy workload that they're putting upon it. And I mean, not even just the fact, like from for what we've seen in of Amy Park before, it's always held up well for a rugby game. It doesn't have the issues that the SCG did a few years ago when they had yeah. rugby there first of the sand base and the the ground coming up. But three games of rugby union with heavy scrums and lineouts and malls in one day, I don't think it's ever been done before, particularly first grade games of this caliber let alone eight across the weekend. So I have real apprehension that when it comes to 4.30 on that Sunday that the Melbourne Rebels and the Crusaders will be playing in potholes. It'll be interesting uh, to see what not. happens. Hopefully not. And look, uh, I'm sure they'll have employed a couple of extra groundskeepers to make sure that <laughs> every every night and morning after the games, they're doing their best to make sure the things are patched up and they stomp on a few more holes to uh, sort them all out. But... Look, I'm incredibly jealous of you being able to head down there. I don't know how you managed to wrangle that one with the missus. Are you? Is she going down with you or are you just heading no, down with your brother? No, or? no she's not. I, I did give her the invitation to come if she chose. She chose not to come to another holiday that's completely dominated by rugby as per... We did go to the Rugby World Cup in 2019 and she came to that. So <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah. I think that she's allowed me to go. Out. I'm happy with that. Uh, I'm not going to force her to come down either. Yeah, cool, mate. Well, have a lot of fun. I can't wait to chat with you afterwards to see. Are you, are you there for the whole weekend? Are you watching yep, every single yep. game? Flying down Friday morning, flying back Monday uh, midday-ish. So, yeah, definitely oh, down there fantastic. for the whole weekend. In the process now, of trying to sort out media passes. So do keep uh, an eye on our social media channels because if I can get those sorted, I will be attending the media conferences and press conferences after the games as well to ask your questions. So, Please do keep an eye out for that and we'll let you know whether we can get those sorted. Uh, Before we finish up for the Super Round, let's go through a bit of a preview or a prediction. Which teams do you think may be able to get the win this round? From an Australian perspective. 
from an Australian perspective, uh, okay, force over Moana. Okay. Um, their potential. I'm not saying it's definite, mm-hmm. but they they could. Um, if yeah, Henry Tume Stowers is back in. I he's been a freaking wrecking ball the last month or so. Um, so I'm very very happy to see if he can come back in and have another excellent performance. Uh, I think that the, hmm, I mean the Waratahs are playing the Indrua. So no, that's the Super Dobby. That's the Super Dobby. So the Waratahs. That's the Super Dobby. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the Drew are going to get smashed by the Blues. The Reds could well get up over the Canes. That's a possibility. Uh, the Brumbies are a chance against the Highlanders as well. The Rebels are going to get absolutely eviscerated by the Crusaders. And the Waratahs, look, I don't think they will, but there are, there's a chance. It's a low chance. So I think the most likely, most likely would be the Reds and the Brumbies. But again, that's not that surprising. Um, that's so probably what we go, could have predicted you, from so early in the season. Let's go with a number. Your prediction of how many Aussie wins at Super Round? Uh, two. Two. Yeah, I'm thinking two as well. I think those games you've highlighted, I, I have a feeling the Waratahs might be able to do something against the Chiefs. There mm. are reports that Darren Coleman has been working quite closely with Dave Rennie this week uh, in terms of coaching against the Chiefs. And we know Dave Rennie did take the Chiefs to back-to-back Super Rugby titles um, a few years ago. So hopefully that's doing good things for the Waratahs and their prep. Uh, I do think the Western Force have a good chance against Moana Pacifica. They, again, are still ravaged with injuries. This will be the first time they've got to travel internationally as a team. So it'll be interesting to see how that all goes and what sort of team they can put together for this competition. So that could go either way. Um, and then I very well could see the Brumbies or the Reds getting up or even both of them getting up. So I'm going to convince, I'm going to say two and be happy with three. And if it's four, I'm going to be even like, I'll be so happy next week. You, I won't even fight. I'll just live in Melbourne. You just live in Melbourne, stay yeah. there forever. Yeah. Um, and what's your prediction for the Super W final? I, my heart says Waratahs. My head says Indrua. I'm going to go with the Waratahs though by three points. I think they're going to have some big learnings and they're going to be up for it. The fact that they're, They've made it to the final and they won't won't be happy with the performance a few weeks ago against the Fijiana and Jewel women. So I think that the Waratahs will be humming and ready. Uh, uh, Waratahs by three. Yeah, it's either going to be, in my mind, um, Fijiana and Jewel by like 18 or the Waratahs by not much. Yep. Uh, it's, it's one of those two. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm similar to you. I want the Waratahs to win very obviously. Um, let's see. Let's see if they can pull it out of the But let's just so. also say if the Fijiana Drua, Indrua do get the victory, I think that's a great thing for the women's game as oh, well. Incredibly so. well-deserved. They've yep. been a breath of uh, fresh air, have brought a new style of playing into the game and set a new standard for how um, they can be playing. So, yeah, look, it'll be really exciting. Fantastic. Really exciting. Let's, um, right. let's move across now into the locker room and answer our fans' questions before we wrap things up. All right, let's go. All right, we move now to the locker room. And first off, thank you to Lucy Erickson, who asked us about the chances of the Aussie teams in the upcoming Super Round. We've just spoken about that, so we won't touch on it again, but thank you, Lucy. And next up, we have Jack Hodgson, who asks, was the Blues versus Crusaders game a perfect example of why the 20-minute red card works? 
Phil, St- Phil Stadiums cheering Full to the stadium. last minutes. Full stadiums cheering to the last minute. Scotty Barrett gets his punishment. There was no intent or thuggery in a tackle. Northern Hemisphere critics seem to think a 20-minute red card will cause more thugs. But we haven't seen that in Super Rugby. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I have no... Uh, I, I tend to agree. I don't think we have seen... game. First of all, games ruined by the red card. I think it's a good thing. We haven't seen players increasing in, and doing worse offences week on week. Uh, we probably haven't seen... And I, I understand what a lot of the Northern Hemisphere critics are saying in rebuke to the 20-minute red card in that we just haven't seen uh, player technique change yet. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because we've only been doing this for five weeks and they haven't had time to change yet or if it will take longer for them to be able to change their techniques and their um, the, the processes they go through and the split-second decisions. But overall, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think... I think it keeps the spectacle of the game for as long as we can um, with that 20-minute red card. It doesn't ruin the, the outcomes as much as it, it does with a red card, um, an out-and-out out red card. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm happy with it. But again, rugby is controlled by the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Moving on to question from Jason Sherman. Why is Fox so determined to rock the Reds' boat? with a constant stream of speculation and disruptive articles. Yeah, look, this is an interesting one. It's been a bit of a challenging week in terms of some of the media focus on uh, an unnamed RA source that was a bit critical of Brad Thorne and his kind of management style. And then QIU kind of got their back up in defense of Brad Thorne and bit of bit of kind of handbags at 10 paces kind of things going back and forth. Uh, interestingly, I'm chatting about this on Twitter with Michael Atkinson. The first article actually came from Nine slash Sydney Morning Herald. It was a Wayne Smith article. Um, and it was actually quite a good article about Brad Thorne's coaching aspirations moving forward. It wasn't kind of focusing on negative things, but then uh, there have been some articles put out by Christy Doran, who's writing for Fox Sports at the moment, which were a lot more kind of speculative. There was even one where Taniela Tupo was speculated to be going to Western Force. And that was quoted in one of Christie's articles. And I'm like, that was from a joke Twitter message that somebody put up. And I saw that go live and it has not been mentioned anywhere else whatsoever. So is Christie just taking uh, is is he just taking Twitter posts and using them as like unsubstantiated rumors for some of his transfer commentary? It feels like it, doesn't it? It seems like he's... The the frustrating thing with this whole situation is that there's no... The unsourced RA or the un, uh, unnamed RA source. Like, do we, we do even know if this is a legitimate thing. Like, we, mm. we don't know. We're getting conflicting evidence coming out from Christy Doran and Fox Sports to the rest of the rugby community. Christy writes in an article that... Taniela Tupo's upset with his workload, doesn't want to be playing 80 minutes, uh, is, is fearful of burning out and overworking um, at the Queensland Reds, moving into the Wallabies later in the year, that he wants to leave. He doesn't like Brad Thorne's coaching style and wants to go overseas or uh, go to a different super club. Uh, Taniela Tupo just repeats, like, this is fake news. That's it, yeah. straight from the source. Like, if Taniela Tupo is saying that, then that just discredits everything that Christy Doran is saying. So I don't know who this RA source is or this person leaking this information. I have I have thoughts that it might even be not, might not even really be a person, and Christy Doran's just creating headlines for the sake of creating headlines to uh, badmouth and to try and black 
be rugby stories at the moment and um it's just it's being a bit of a stain on on rugby for the last week or so so it's it's not a good look yeah just to clarify that unnamed ra source wasn't originally from a christie article that was from uh wayne smith's original original article but interestingly what christie does write is that um they're he says things like there have been whispers he could join the western force or many believe he wants to blah 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 um and some believe Tupo needs to understand it's all speculative with no sources identified for any of that information it's just conjecture and it's really concerning because there's there's a point of view where you could argue that um, any news is good news, that any conversation on a topic is positive. But in my mind, all that does is create destabilizing conversations mm. and rumors rather than something that is adding to the game. And I don't expect all news articles or journalists work to be um, cheering on the game and, and not being critical where criticism is due. But in this particular case, I. I haven't been a big fan of Christie's writing since he's been at Fox Sports. Mm. He is a good writer, though, and he does have really good contacts. So I kind of wish that there was an opportunity for him not at Fox that he could move to and that the masthead would be um, maybe a bit more supportive of rugby union than Fox Sports has been over the last couple of years since they lost the rights to Stan. Yeah, and I think one of the things as well, just around that RA source thing, is that, yes, it was brought up by Sydney Morning Herald, but I think in that relation it was talking more around brad thorne not uh being as open in terms of communication and and pick uh, team selections and things that rugby australia want and uh maybe the share of information around uh high performance perform uh, high performance data and that sort of thing and it was in the context of brad thorne being the next wallabies coach and that was what someone was saying is that might be one of the the detractors of his selection over a, a person like um uh, what's his name from the Brumbies, uh, Dan McKellar. So it's now shifted to this RA source is talking about Taniel Tupo and it's sort of been put in that regard. Like Christy Doran's taking that sourced person and sort of attributing this Tupo chat to that as well. So I think he's also sort of confusing people in the way that he's talking about where this information is coming from. Yep. Well, why don't we keep on going? Um, and St. Drogo asks... What are our predictions for the New Zealand games? He has the Reds rugby and Brumbies rugby with two wins, maybe a chance of three. New Zealand Waratah, uh, New South Wales Waratahs. New Zealand Waratahs. <laughs> chance of two. And Rebels in the Western Force with a chance of one. Lean times ahead, but big improvement on last year. I think that that's pretty realistic in terms of um, what our basic hopes could be, that the Reds and the Brumbies are getting two wins each. The Waratahs, maybe one or two and the Rebels and Force maybe getting one win between the two of them. Uh, do you see things going differently? Do you see any of the Australian teams um, getting three from their five matches? Well, I think the Reds and the Brumbies, as as St. Drogo has said, are a good chance of getting those two wins. I think they will convincingly beat Moana Pacifica. I think they can get the win against the Highlanders as well, both of those two teams, and maybe push for a third against maybe the Hurricanes, depending on how things go. Um, I know the Reds are playing them up first at Super Round next weekend. So if they can get that early scalp, that's that sets their season up really well. Um, I think the Waratahs as well are in the box seat to be able to get two wins. They can beat Moana Pacifica on a good day. And I think they could also push the Highlanders and potentially get a win too if they're playing at their full p- potential. So it, it will be a hard game because I think from memory they play that down 
in Dunedin, but uh, never say never. I think they could do that. The Melbourne Rebels in the Western Force, I think both of those teams are capable of beating Moana Pacifica. That isn't to say Moana Pacifica is a pushover team at, at, at all. I do think that it will be a big game and a big ask for both of those teams, but I mm. do think on their day they could do it. Um, but I just don't see them being able to compete against the other New Zealand sides at the moment. Good comments, mate. Well, I think we might wrap things up there. We have reached the end of the locker room. And that means, mate, we've reached the end of the pod. Well done for getting to this point. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As uh, we have said before, Super Round this weekend, get excited, get involved. I'll be down at Super Round. So if you are there, look out for the pick and drive hat. Do come and say hi. Uh, hopefully, we can sort out some media passes as well. So do look at look out for our Twitter that will have an answer to or a post um, around your questions for those post-match press conferences as well. So very much looking forward to it. New thing for Super Rugby, new thing for Rugby Union in general, eight games across three days. Uh, very much looking forward to it. So yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. All the best. Bye.